On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Kirtana Ramasetti. Kirtana earned her MFA in creative writing from Emerson College and has had her work published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and more. Her debut novel, Dava Shastri's Last Day, was a Good Morning America book club pick and is currently in development with HBO Max. Her second novel, Advika and the Hollywood Wives, is out now. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a yeah. pleasure. Yeah, welcome to Pop Fiction Women. So tell us a little bit about Advika and the Hollywood Wives. Sure. So in my novel, Advika Srinivasan, she is an aspiring screenwriter who's also mourning the death of her twin sister. And to pay the bills, she works at a lot of A-list events, including the Governor's Ball, which is the official after party of the Oscars. And while working there, she meets Julian Zelding, who's a five-time Oscar winner as a movie producer. And so despite their 41-year age difference, they completely hit it off. They have a whirlwind romance, and then not long afterwards, they're married. And then maybe a month after their marriage, Julian's first wife passes away. And in her will, she says she will leave $1 million and a film reel to Julian's uh, quote-unquote child bride if they get divorced. And so Adelika realizes, I have no idea who I married. And so she's completely shaken out of her love fog and decides to explore who her new husband really is through the lives and experiences of his ex-wives who are an actress, a reality star, and a pop star. What a great so hook. Good. I was just <laughs> yeah. going to say that. What a great hook. Was absolutely pulled in right from the start. Yeah. Oh, great. I, so I love to hear some, that. Yes, yes. So let's start with Edvika. Um, when we first meet her, she is struggling a bit. Um, as you mentioned, she's grieving the loss of her twin sister, uh, which then also sort of caused the loss of her parents in a way, in the sense that they moved back to India. Uh, her, She is an aspiring cre- screenwriter, but her career is obviously stalled a little bit. So she's, she's alone and a bit lost. Um, so tell us about your development of her, how she came to you, any struggles you faced when writing her. Sure. Um, well, to start with the development of my main character, I have to think about the development of this whole idea for this novel because it actually came from watching the, uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which is mm-hmm. such a Love that. You know, so good. unusual way to have a, an idea for a novel. But I was watching the season. I don't know if you're familiar with the show at all. but um, Very oh, familiar. Oh, very. Big fan. Yes. Okay. So you might know Yolanda Hadid. She was on... Uh, Beverly Hills and I was watching the season which had, was her final season on the show and it was like when she was having a lot of friction and marital strife with her then husband David Foster who's a very famous music producer mm-hmm. and I knew as I was watching this season that eventually they would divorce and David Foster would marry Catherine McPhee who is about 30 to 40 years younger than him so mm-hmm. I'm watching this show and I have two thoughts, which is one, did Catherine McPhee watch this? Because what an interesting window to see what your spouse is like in his previous relationship. Like right. how could you resist that? And then I also thought about the idea, what would it be like to be married to somebody who's very famous, very well connected in his industry? And not only that, not only do you have this significant age gap, but all his ex-wives are also famous. Like what would that be like? How would you navigate that as a young wife who also wants to make her mark in the same industry as her husband. And so when I was thinking about Adhika, the first thing I thought about was the fact that if she was going to marry someone, you know, she's Indian American just as I am. And so if she brought home a white man who was four years older than her, 
you know, her family would have a conniption. <laughs> there would be intervention yeah. help. It just wouldn't go over well. So I thought, well, you know, the easiest thing for me to do is maybe not make her family a part of the equation in this sense, because I think one of the reasons she finds herself in this relationship is because she has lost the closest person to her in her life, which is her twin sister. Mm-hmm. And because of her twin's death, she also has an estrangement with her parents and then also yeah. suffers an estrangement with her very close friends. And so she kind of finds herself in this relationship where it feels like I'm so lonely, <laughs> I'm so isolated, and I also still have this huge ambition to be a screenwriter. So maybe this marriage almost makes sense for me. And so um, yeah. that's how the idea came up and how I started developing Africa as a character. That wow. is even more fascinating. I was going <laughs> to go back to that later because, oh, and we will maybe come back to it because you wrote something in L about. Um, yeah. about the housewives, and we'll come back to that. But I want to stay with uh, Advika. She, you ta- already talked about Anu, her twin sister. And as early as the first five pages, we're already getting her sister's voice in our heads, kind of counseling her and saying, like, this is what, you know, are you thinking about this? Are you, are you, um, you know, aware of this? And Don't ignore this. Of course she is, but she still has that voice in her head. But I wanted to read a little bit, if that's okay, to having Advika talk about what it feels like without Anu. For Advika, loneliness and silence were a yoke that tightened around her neck with every passing day, a braided rope of thorns that never ceased digging into her skin. Coming into the world with a twin meant that Advika had always felt Anu's presence in her life, even if they were not in the same room. To have a twin was like a perpetual ray of sun dancing across her shoulders, a comforting warmth of just knowing and being known. Anu's passing was a cleaving of two souls that left the remaining one perpetually in the dark, searching blindly for someone she would never find. (sighs) It's a beautiful passage. Uh, I want to talk about your development of them as twins, not just a sister, but as twin sisters, and what it meant for Advika to not have her sister there with her. Sure. I was thinking about the kind of person Advika was. And one of the things I, in the early development of this novel, I thought of the fact that she'd have a very close relationship with her family and her friends. And that gave her a solidity that was so important to her. She didn't have to think twice about her place in the world because she had these people that she loved and trusted so dearly. And so often I find sometimes, maybe not so much, but there are some novels that feature Indian American families and there's a conflict between the parents and the children. It's like, you know, it's a culture clash and a generational Mm -hmm. clash. And I didn't want that for this family. I wanted them to be very close. So when Anu did die unexpectedly, it just completely explodes the entire family unit. And it kind of already exposes cracks that were there in terms of Avika having this very unconventional and untraditional ambition to be a screenwriter, right. where uh, it's just not the most stable thing <laughs> you could pursue. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. so in terms of Avika and Anu as twins, I thought, you know, it would be important to illustrate the fact that even though they have this closeness as twin sisters, and for me, just imagining coming into this world and already having a sister, a best friend, to enter the world with, I think that'd be so formative for you and how you exist. Because for them, they never really think about being lonely, just knowing the other person exists. Um, But at the same time, I thought it was also important to explore the fact they're not completely on the same page in every way, which is formative for Advika later 
when she goes on her journey um, and tries to move forward with her life without her sister, which is that Anu is a person who kind of cares what's happening in the world. She's very much more of an activist. And Avika, she's so single-minded about her ambitions to be a screenwriter that she just doesn't want to let it in. For her, it's just like, yeah. I just want to do this one thing and I don't care, really care about anything else. And so not to have, so to have Anu not be there anymore is kind of so disorienting in so many ways, but also opens her up to the fact that, you know, I should be more like that, my sister, and I should actually open my eyes more and care more about what's happening to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love she's a voice in her head. I mean, Corinne's saying it's a voice in ours as the readers, but it's also a voice in hers. And, and she, she's right. She's pushing her even to open her eyes to see. And, and, you know, she knows it, but still hearing that, I think that yeah. it's, it really, it was really effective for a character who is deceased, but plays such a significant role. And she also has to figure out who she is without her sister. I can't even imagine as yeah. a twin, like you're saying, you've come into the world as a pair. It's just, yeah. that's why I know Corinne is super fascinated with twins. It is, <laughs> It really highlighted it here for me, yeah. too, of like, it was great. Um, it's also the only way she will, Edvika will be open to it, because now that yeah. An Anu is gone, she has to do it for herself, whereas herself, before right? she yeah. just relied on her to, to be mm -hmm. that voice of reason, and she didn't have to open her own eyes. Yeah. 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 So she meets Julian. Let's talk about Julian. As you said, our famous Oscar-winning producer, decades older than her, married many times. He has what I call a past with a capital P. Um, but and he's but he's very charismatic, sexy, even successful. It's clear, you know, that they're not a great match or shouldn't be for many reasons, but you know, there also, you can see the ways in which she's drawn to him and, and the ways in which they, you know, he does seem like someone she could be with, but I don't know. So it's like, she's so smart and independent, but falling for the wrong guy. So what is it about her in this moment that um, kind of leaves her open to this? And, and what does Julian sort of represent for her? I think she feels seen in terms of her ambition and passion mm -hmm. for movies. Yeah. And I don't think mm -hmm. even with her sister, Anu, who she, again, that's a, a twin bond. There's nothing like it. This is one thing that her sister didn't quite understand. She indulged, but she went, they weren't on the same wavelength. And this is the first time she has somebody when they meet um, at the governor's ball, Julian has just won his fifth Oscar. And they literally meet because he actually kind of tries to get her attention with his Oscar. And for her, it just means everything that this man who's just won an award, like the, the biggest award you can win in movies is taking the time to talk to her. And she has felt so lonely and isolated for so long to have a person of his stature paying attention to her means a lot. And then the fact that they actually connect about their love of movies is a lot. And so when she brings up how much she loves Bendit like Beckham as a touchstone for her in terms of thinking, this is a movie that not only represents me, but maybe shows there's a path for me to make my own films one day. He understands it, at least in that point. She, he seems to understand yeah. it. Yeah. And so for her, that's everything. For so long, since her sister passed away and her parents moved away, she didn't feel seen anymore. She was almost like a ghost. And this, just the, having this interest from this powerful man who takes the time to talk to her and they have the same love language, which is a love of movies, that makes her throw caution to the wind and say, what do I have to lose? I have nothing else that keeping me going each day. So let me just give it a try. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. If I could read a little bit 
I loved this moment. What she liked about him was not merely his fame or his movie connections. She liked that he was someone who made her feel happy and hopeful and had no connection to her past. The concept of her future no longer seemed exhausting or frightening, but something Advika could actually look forward to again. I mean... So I want to talk about, this brings me perfectly to genre mashups, because I was really rooting for these two for some period of time, because you really kind of leaned into the rom-com element of it, or the romance, and she was down, and I wanted her to feel good, and he's this amazing man, and he's captured her and sees her, captured her Mm -hmm. heart. But the whole time, there was also very much an underlying tension. Even if you don't read the blurb and you go in, you just feel something's not right deep in the romance of it. I wanted to talk about what made you want to kind of play up both sides instead of going straight thriller, like what is happening here, and then also not just making this a very kind of it would be a unique romance if you did it as a romance. Um, You'd have its own hurdles and obstacles, but you instead married the two. Talk about that. You know, at a certain point while writing this novel, I realized that I was writing a thriller in a lot of ways, and that was very intimidating. (laughs) So I was like, oh, wait a minute. She is is on the search. She has a a question she needs answered. Can I pull this off? I don't know. But so yeah. it really was an unintended mashup. I think my editor really played a wonderful job in making sure to emphasize the early chapters. A reader could kind of understand the connection between Julian and Advika. And so as much as red flags, I wanted to put in there kind of signaling to the reader, this is, this is not a good idea. She really mm-hmm. wanted to make sure, if possible, that readers would also buy into the romance aspect of it. And yeah. so the reason why... Not just Advika would be interested in Julian, but why Julian would be interested in her too, especially early on when we don't know that much about him. Like what is drawing these two people together who, as you said, really don't have much in common, at least if, you know, on the surface level. So it was important to me to try to paint a portrait of two people drawn together. And so, and because Advika loves romantic comedies, she kind of sees the relationship through the eyes of a romantic comedy. She kind of thinks about what music would be playing in that moment, or maybe thinking of a certain camera angle that would capture a certain moment. So she's seeing it through not just like rose-colored glasses, but rom-com colored glasses. Yes. <laughs> glasses. So yes. just as a, right. And so I think it becomes such even more of a gut punch for her when Julian's first ex-wife has this will and this news comes out and she realizes, oh, this whole time, like as much as he's been focused on us and the present, he never really wanted to talk about his past. And his past is kind of the key to unlocking who he really is and also why he really was interested in her at, at, in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that you said rom-com color glasses. I think I have those, by the way. I think I have them on a lot. Um, and I love that she did that. Um, and it does read to me a little bit like a love letter to romantic comedies. The book entirely, and particularly with the chapter headings, which I loved those um, being named for romantic comedies. So what's your relationship with rom-coms generally? And how did you choose those movie headings Were they clues or just fun additions to the story? Sure. Yeah, I love romantic comedies. And um, growing up, I just felt like I didn't really see myself in a lot of them necessarily. Mm -hmm. But similarly to Advika, I did see them 
when I was younger as a blueprint of this is what it must be like to fall in love and this must be what it's like to be in a relationship. But I just think they're very fun and they're so fun and wonderful to watch. And the thing I respect most and love most about romantic comedies is something that Atavika says in the novel. She's like, you can spend billions of dollars trying to do CGI this or special effects, yep. but you can't manufacture the chemistry between two people. There's nothing like it. I love that line. And Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. And so that's what, I, that's what I think of when I think about why I love romantic comedy so much. There's something so wonderful about seeing a love story play out and seeing the chemistry between two actors. And one of the things I wanted to make sure about in this novel is I don't want either because love or romantic comedies to be held against her. Like, I think that's a very valid and lovely thing to enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's just because she loves him so much, she kind of, when she's in her first real relationship, of course she'll go towards that level of how she views a relationship to the genre she loves so much. But I wanted to make sure that she always maintains that love of romantic comedies and that's like a, a through line through the novel. And then in terms of the chapter headings, I just love playing around with chapter headings. I did it for my first novel too. And I just think it's a fun way to communicate a little more information to the reader sort of as an Easter egg. And so after I finished mm-hmm. the first draft, I just suddenly had that, you know, light bulb of like, oh, I can do titles with romantic comedies. And then it was just kind of a fun puzzle of like making a list of romantic comedies and trying to match the themes or certain elements to what was happening in that chapter. And then I actually received feedback from a reader who said they actually created a watch list for themselves where they actually watched a bunch of romantic comedies based on those chapter titles, Uh. which was amazing to hear. Yeah. Yes, that I is. had to look a couple up because I've obviously watched Same. many of them. But there was a couple I was like, hmm, maybe I need to check this out. Same. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love that. So we also talked about at the beginning of the story, Advika is estranged from her friend group. And as she has to put together the pieces of Julian's past and find her way out of the situation, her friends truly play a vital role in helping her do that. And she has to kind of gather them back around. I wanted to read a a little bit again, if that's okay with you, just talking about how that happened. Early on in in the book, she's saying, uh, she wished she could find comfort being around her friends, but their presence only made it that much clearer that Anu was missing. Sunita's maternal bossiness no longer had the counter of Anu's teasing but loving pushback. Vic no longer had his fun-loving partner in crime, and Balan no longer had someone to match his high-level ambitions and work ethic. The chorus of their voices, either in person or in a group text, stung because Anu wasn't among them. And no matter how much they cared for Advika, they couldn't make up for what she had lost. They were like family, but they weren't family. Mm-hmm. So that is where she is when we find her, and again, she breaks down those walls as the novel goes on. I wanted to talk about that part of the journey, having her gather these friends around and good friends that are willing to overlook what has happened and, and the ways she's, she's kept them out to help her when, they, when she needs it. I want to talk about why you wanted to do that. Sure. So one of the things I figured out early on when conceiving of this novel once I figured out the premise, which was, again, inspired by The Real Housewives, um, <laughs> I also realized, you know what, I do not want to write a family saga. My first novel was a family saga. And be- before that, I wrote two novels that I ultimately shelved, and those were also family sagas. So I'm like, I'm done. No family saga. Yeah. But Fair enough. I was like, <laughs> yeah. but I did, and of course, family is a important part to most um, 
Indian American family, so they could not be a component in some way. But I thought it'd be fun and interesting for me to um, actually write this book as a tribute to friendship. And one of those kinds of friendships are the kinds of friendships that Adriga has with her, uh, her childhood friends, people she's known since she was very young and who she's grown up with and formed a community with as adults. And I base that on my own friendships. I have a group of friends who I've known for a very long time. We've known each other since we were kids. And it's been so gratifying to kind of have that foundation and that support as we get older. And now they're having, you know, my friends are having kids. And so our friends' kids, they're friends now too. So it's like the next generation. Mm -hmm. And it means so much to me to have those kind of friendships because so often, especially when you grow up and you know, you're Indian American or you're a person of color, you don't always feel like you belong in places. But within that group of people, I always felt like I belonged and I didn't even question it. And it wasn't until, mm-hmm. so I'm originally from Southern California. I moved to New York about 20 years ago and everyone else is still in California. So I don't really feel like I understood how important that was to me until I was no longer had it. So I felt like this would be a great way to write a novel and kind of write um, an ode to that kind of friendship. The people you can call up you know, <laughs> at two in the morning and you're like, I need you. And they'll just be there for you, no questions asked. And I wanted Adrika to realize that even though her sister was no longer with her, this is not some, she shouldn't push people away. She has to open up her life and open up her world and let these people you know, support her. But at the same time, she should also be a good friend to them as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I yes. love that because we talk about that a lot. We, the, the fraught family relationships with family of origin, but with your found family of friends, you know, it's a really different dynamic and obviously it depends for everyone about what their family dynamics are like. But for me, like the found family, the friends, I just feel that's a different kind of honesty that you can have with them or vulnerability and you're not so entrenched in your roles that you are yeah. in family yeah. of origin. So we love the stories of friendship. And I and I saw in your acknowledgments that you said it was inspired by your family friends. And I love that. So it's, it really came through. Yeah. yeah. So I want to move from family friends to frenemies or maybe <laughs> less obvious alliances because in this novel... Advika needs to empathize with Julian's exes in order to piece together his past. And <laughs> the way she gathers them, it's like the cast of the housewives. <laughs> it, it sounds like, you know, right? Like everyone has dated everyone else and there's a lot going on there uh, in the show. And then I feel like you you did that well here. I read your essay in L. And we already talked a little bit about how the Beverly Hills Housewives kind of planted that seed. But you were also talking about this idea, this, I think in the novel, you say a weird sisterhood, they formed a weird sisterhood. I want to talk about that. Because you're, most people say they tune into these housewives for drama and the conflict, but it doesn't have to be about that. There can be a lot more for us to get from those kind of shows. You want to talk about that? Sure. I think... When I think of the idea of a weird sisterhood, no matter if it's like starting on a reality show together or Advika kind of connecting to Julian's ex-wives, there's something about the idea of we all experience something that no one else will ever understand. And that makes us kind of feel like really bonded and solid together. Even if we don't necessarily get along or like each other, you can't take away the fact that we experience something extraordinary. And that kind of makes us sisters for life. For Advika, she really toggles a lot between a lot of different emotions as she f- finds out who these women were beyond 
the media coverage of them or beyond even what Julian was said about them. And she digs into the complexities of each of these women in their lives and why they each just decided to marry Julian. And she identifies with that a lot of ways. And so yeah. it's really interesting for her to realize she feels really bonded to these women that she'll never meet for the most part, but to know that they all have had an experience that hopefully will make them stronger and not be conquered by the fact that they're all united by the same terrible man. Yeah. Yes. You know, we talked about succession earlier before we started, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is reminding me of the funeral when all of the yes. women that ever loved Logan Roy oh my gosh, we're in sit the in the row. same pew together. Even yeah. They even let Carrie in, and it is a yeah. weird sisterhood um, yeah. to think about that. But yeah, that, that bond, um, even if it is a strange one. Um, yes. So... Your acknowledgments, you also thank your parents for instilling in me a love of reading that has blossomed to a point that I can express my gratitude to them in the acknowledgments of a novel, which just uh, I it gives me such a feeling. But you started as an entertainment journalist, I know. So when did you know you wanted to be a writer and how did you transition to published author? Sure. I think I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I just didn't know if it was possible because, <laughs> mm, you know, I used yes. to like pour through um, author bios when I was younger. Like anytime I pick up a literary magazine or an anthology and I go quickly to the back of the book to look at the author bios to try to crack the code. Like, how did they do that? How did they get published? Because there's no like mm -hmm. career path, you know, usually for a lot of other career paths, you can understand, OK, I go to medical school and then I do this and I yeah. understand how I can do that. We're two lawyers. We uh -huh. had we just <laughs> very set paths yes mm -hmm. yeah Correct. yes so you and with becoming being able to write a book and be an author there just didn't seem a way to I couldn't figure it out for the longest time so as much as I wanted to be a writer and an author it just seemed like a pipe dream so at least let me marry my love of writing to my love of pop culture and so that's what I did and so I was an entertainment journalist for several years but um, the industry has a lot of ups and downs and I got really burned out and so I decided to step away and kind of figure out my next move. And as I was doing so, I had an idea for my debut novel that was based on my experience in um, working as an entertainment reporter. And I, like I mentioned earlier, um, I'd written two books previously to this that never saw the light of day. But with my debut novel, Dava Shastri, I thought this novel idea is really important to me. And so if I don't do it now, <laughs> I never will. I'm approaching 40, it's just time. And I also wanted to prove to myself that I could write a novel I'd be proud of. I didn't even think about if it might get published or not, because it still seemed like a distant possibility. But the fact I was able to write a novel, as you, you, you both know, like take, writing a novel takes a lot of time and effort and dedication. <laughs> so even if nobody ever read it, I wanted it to be something I was proud of. And so that's when, and so when I finished the novel, I'm like, oh, okay, I do have a novel. <laughs> Let's try to get it published. And so from there, I was very lucky. But it took me a long time to realize that this was actually something I could try to do and figure out the path forward for it. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about that a lot uh, with authors, the practice novels. Like, you you start with the novel you think you're supposed to write. And then you start with the novel that's bit thinly veiled version of you. And then finally, you hit on the one that's just like, this is the idea. This is the thing I want to go out into the world with. And it seems like you picked really well because your debut novel was chosen as a GMA book club pick, which is an incredible honor and a complete boon for a first-time author. Tell us what that experience was like 
it was incredible. I just remember receiving the email and thinking, is this happening? And of course, I called my own sister and told her, I'm like, don't tell anybody, but this is happening. And I just, you know, they tell you so early. That's the other thing. My book, club, my book was chosen for no, December and I found out in May. So you kind of just have to sit on the secret <laughs> for a very long time. But, you know, it's so gratifying because when you're working on a novel by yourself, especially your debut, when you don't know if anyone's ever read it, you don't know what's going to happen with it. It's very gratifying to realize, oh, this is actually going to be published one day. Because when you're sitting at the computer and you're working on it, you can't think about all those things. All you're thinking about, I just want to tell this story. And then once you get a book deal, all you're dreaming about, oh, I just want to see my book on a bookshelf. That's it. Like in a bookstore, I'll be happy. <laughs> so when something like that happens, you're like, I don't even know how to <laughs> respond to this. Yeah, it was never in my this. dreams. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was never in my wildest dreams. I was just so happy to finally get a book published, which was a lifelong dream of mine. And everything else was just, you know, gravy yeah. after that. Yeah. Mm. And did it, did you feel like there was some pressure on this novel? I mean, we can say your second novel is already out and it's a fantastic novel. I love it. So did you have to get over that hump of the success of the first one? What was processing that mm. to go into the next? Or did you just keep your head down and write this? I kind of kept my head down and wrote it because once I got my foot in the door of publishing, I'm like... I don't want to leave. Like, please let me yeah. <laughs> writing books. Yeah, I'm stay. here now. Mm-hmm. Let me stay. So yeah. honestly, yeah. I delivered my manuscript at the end of December 2020. I think I don't even know. Time is fuzzy now. But oh I was already gosh. thinking. Right now, <laughs> time is fuzzy. Yeah. But I was already thinking about my second novel because I really want to make sure to come in as soon as I can with another novel idea to present to my editor. And so I was actually. I think it was about a month after I turned in my novel to my editor. I was watching that Real Housewives because just to kind of decompress and relax oh, after a very yeah. intense oh, editing process. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea came very early and I was very lucky that I had an idea that they that they loved and I developed a, a proposal with a sample chapters and a synopsis. But yeah, I was just ready to go because I just felt like when you're writing a novel, there's no other feeling like it. And I kind of felt yeah. like I was at home in my novel. And once the book is done, I wanted to go back home, if that makes sense. Oh, There's nothing more yes. lovely than working on a novel and just kind of being in the headspace of coming up with characters and plot and all of that, every element that is, goes along with it. And so that was really like, I just, I felt adrift without having a project to work on. So I literally jumped as soon as I could and working on the next one. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I love the it feeling like home. I've never actually heard someone describe it that way. I love that, which now really makes me want to ask my next question. Um, <laughs> this is where we get into our woo-woo astrology um, part and what's your sign and do you relate? And sometimes we know because I'm able to find it, but I don't know yours. And so now I'm very curious. So I'm a Capricorn and I don't really relate okay. to being a Capricorn. I think they're supposed to be very stubborn and analytical, and I don't really consider myself either of those things, but I will say that one thing I do, even though I don't really, I don't really tie into being a Capricorn that much, but I do have this ritual, which is I'll find my birthday horoscope on the day and then save it yeah. and then read it the following birthday to see if any of it came true. And yes. it's just, it really, yeah. I love yeah. doing that. What's Sometimes your source, though? Like, where do you, yeah, well, so what's, where do you, which one do you read? Is you know, it like I take one a you few. always go to? <laughs> I just, yeah, honestly, okay, I, I like Google, yeah. 
Yeah, because sometimes yeah, ones, like some will be more relatable than others. She's like, yes, that did happen. Mm -hmm. But um, I just yeah. literally Google birthday horoscope on that day and just see which, which ones I can find and then kind of save mm -hmm. it for myself to see yeah. if anything resonated if I, from that. If mm -hmm. I could just chime in a little bit with the Capricorns, because <laughs> I'm a Capricorn moon, okay. so I relate very much to being a Capricorn. I, they're a cardinal sign, so it's not stubborn is not, that's more Taurus, uh, disciplined, mm -hmm. very disciplined, and mm -hmm. always very concerned with money. That's not to say greedy, but just budgeting, like paying attention to money, income, material, like value and understanding the value of things is a big, is an important thing for Capricorn. Well, so, and really hardworking. Really yes, hard, very hard work. Is I think of when I think of Capricorns, like the goat is going to get up that hill. I mean, they yeah. will not stop until they meet their goal. I mean, you always wanted to be a writer, and you made it happen. Um, yeah. So also, we don't know. Maybe your moon, like, is your insides is something different, which is why you don't really feel like you relate to Capricorn. You know, that's always a, more for the pot. We don't know more yeah, elements. Yeah. Definitely. I wish I could tell you. I have no idea. But I do like what well, you said okay. about <laughs> the goat just like steadily climbing up that mountain because I guess that does really, and that resonates. So I'll take it. I'll take it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, we love to find one point of connection. It's always fun. So we love to uh, ask our authors what are you loving right now? Because anything that that you're obsessed with, and especially I also happen to really love pop culture and like the, the reality TV side of things. So, what are you are you into Scandaval? By the way, just oh, I yes. have to ask. <laughs> yes, yeah. I definitely paying attention <laughs> and watching deep yes. in it. Yeah, deep in same, it. Same, yeah. same. What else? What else? You know, I was thinking if if you for people who love pop culture and specifically movies, and if you enjoy the the movie references in this book, there's a really wonderful YouTube channel called Be Kind Rewind, and it's video essays about women in Hollywood. And what I love about this channel so much is I'll, t I'll take an actress who won the Oscar for you know best actress, and kind of spotlight their career before and after they won the Oscar, and talk about the forces that shaped their career and why they actually won the award, while also looking at the other nominees that year and seeing if maybe they were more deserving. Or It's just a very interesting look about women in Hollywood and feminism, and I think it shaped a lot of my thinking a lot about Hollywood and women in Hollywood while writing this novel. It's a very interesting, it's a very fun, it's a very informative. I definitely recommend yeah. it. Oh like my God, that. that sounds like something we would absolutely love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of books, I just finished reading um, What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez by Claire Jimenez, and it's wonderful. It's, uh, it's a family story about the middle... Are you familiar with it at all? Yes, yes. Okay, so you know what it's about. It's about uh, a Puerto Rican family, and the middle daughter goes missing, and then maybe 20 years later, the remaining family think they see her on a reality TV show. So they go on a road trip to go find her and see if this is really their missing sister and daughter. And it's just wonderful. It's about family and intergenerational trauma. And there's also really smart elements about reality TV and how, how reality TV doesn't always serve women well in terms of how we're depicted, especially oh. people of color. So that's a very wonderful book. I am currently reading um, Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, she's yeah. excellent. Yeah. really enjoying that. In terms of TV, there's a television show called Mrs. Davis 
um, it's on Peacock. That is okay. one of the most delightfully bonkers shows I've ever seen. <laughs> I can't tell you how crazy it is in a good way because I don't even want to say too much about it, but it really made me think a lot about how social media and algorithms play roles in our lives. But also it's very inventive and fun and just strange. <laughs> so I highly recommend that oh. too. Oh, we like I love that. that. Bonk- yeah. Delightfully bonkers is that's that's right also right up our alley. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a lot of alleys apparently, but that <laughs> one sounds perfect too. <laughs> oh well, thank you so much for joining us today. We both really loved this novel, and um, so glad we got to take the time to chat yes. with you and hear more about how you came up with it and how you developed it. So, and how you got here. So. Thank you for sharing. And this is the first Real Housewives reference where I actually knew who you were talking about. Like those are actually, (laughs) yeah, I know her and I know David Foster. I know Catherine McPhee. I was like, ooh, well, for once I know a reference. This is great. Okay, yes. I usually don't. I'm usually the the reality TV, you know, Uh, I don't watch, so I don't usually know. But that was, these were players I knew. So that was awesome. (laughs) I'm so glad. And thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Good, good. Thank you. And you don't have to know any reality TV to love this. It's more Hollywood, glamour, movie, business, Oscars. Like that's, it's more of that realm than than reality TV. But I love anything inspired by reality TV. So (laughs) exactly. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you again.